1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 13 says this. 1 Samuel 16, 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, anointed David, young David, in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. You look at chapter 17, that's David's encounter with Goliath. No doubt about it. The Spirit of the Lord needed to come mightily upon David in order for him to face that challenge and be the victor on that day. He was not a skilled warrior. He didn't even have a sword. He had some rocks and he had a sling, unarmed, but something on the inside of him ignited the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon that young man's soul, his spirit, and empowered him, enabling him to do some things emotionally and physically that on his own he could never have done. He could never have faced down that nine-and-a-half-foot-tall giant, and he never could have on his own slung a rock hard enough to knock that guy out and down. The Spirit of the Lord coming upon an individual mightily. The good news, folks, is that what God was able to do under the old covenant, before Calvary, before the outpouring of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, what God was able to do then, absolutely, unequivocally, God is able to do in the lives of his people in this dispensation, in this age of grace. Well, we're not looking forward to the Messiah to come. The first time, Jesus the Messiah has come. He paid for our sins. He paid the debt on the cross. We receive and embrace his death for us in our place. His blood paid the price. His blood won the day, and then he was buried, and then he was raised again on the third day, meaning that death couldn't hold him. Death is not the final statement. It's not over when the grave comes. He came out of the grave, was raised to the right hand of the Father, and from that place, in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, the account of how he poured out his spirit. He poured out his spirit upon the church, So just as David was anointed mightily for the task that he was assigned to do, you can be anointed. You can be empowered. You can be clothed with power from on high. That is the Lord's intent. Not just for preachers with a microphone in front of their face. Not just for singers or musicians or Christian writers, but for every last one of the children of God, all of the Father's children, to be blessed with and filled by the promise of the Father, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Spirit of the living Jesus inside your chest that will animate your mind and activate your thoughts and and promote your, your energy to the far ends of the world to lift up the name of Christ. Amen. What happened with David in his day, with his assignment, 
in his generation for the purpose of God in that day, God is able to do in your heart, in your life, for the purpose of God in your generation, in our generation, in this life. Amen. Well, we're all together on he needed the power of the Spirit to take on Goliath. The Lord knew that he would need that, and the Lord gave him what he needed. But it was also true that the Lord knew that Saul was going to reject him bitterly with great hostility, with rage, with, with a sustained wave of anger coming at David, and that the only way David would be able to stand in the face of that rejection was for the Spirit of God to come on him mightily. I want you to see it, folks. I want you to hold on to it and love it. You may not be facing a physical giant, but you may have known the wrath. You may have known the rage. You may have known the open hostility of someone influential upon your life, someone whom you wished would love you, someone whom you wished would approve of you and desire your company, but they've turned and it's come the other way, and, and you find yourself being withered almost beneath the assault of their anger back at you. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David. It is the Spirit of the Lord, not just Christian friends, not just reading Christian books, not just saturating yourself with Christian TV, not just listening to praise music 24-7, 168 hours in the week, all of which can be good, but none of which will take the place of the Spirit of the living God falling fresh on you. And, and, and not just when we're here, in this place, and we're encouraged by each other's excitement and enthusiasm and joy for worship, but knowing the reality of the living God in the secret place, in the dark place, in the alone place of your life, when, when no one else is able to stand there with you as you feel that impact of rejection, no one can stand in that place with you like Jesus can stand with you. You say, well, I, 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 know, I know he's supposed to be there. That's not what we're talking about. The Holy Spirit has been poured out upon the church, has been given to them. So we would not just, not just know conceptually, academically that he's here, but so that we'd feel his presence. To feel his. Let me tell you something. You, you talk about a, a, a dangerous animal in the eyes of Satan. It's when he can roll up his sleeves and, and clench his and throw everything he's got at you. And you feel the impact in many ways of those things, but in, the, in a very real sense, you're not moved because you know somebody else is standing there with you, that you're not by yourself. You may not be able to see Jesus, but you feel his spirit. You know his presence in your heart. That's what this is all about. Put, take this and, and just set it right in the middle of your life. Take it out of David's situation. It's your life. Where has the rejection been felt the strongest by you. And it can even be 
from years back, decades back, or it could be something very fresh right now. It could be walking through a divorce situation, walking through the dismantling of a company structure, corporate structure that's been in place for the longest time. But in that situation, those two situations, divorce or restructuring or any other you could name, the most painful part of that can be they don't want me anymore. I'm not useful anymore. We may not use the term rejected, but that's what it is, rejection. As I mentioned last week, if there is no other emotion that we can be certain of that Jesus understands the impact of, it is the emotion of being rejected. First John, or John chapter 1, he came to his own. He created everything, nothing made that has been made apart from him. And then he came to his own, and his own received him not. The, 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 the greatest pain of Jesus on the cross, it stands to good reason to believe that it was not just the physical suffering. It was that he had never known in all of his eternity past existence in union with the Father. He had never known a single instance of rejection from the Father. But in that hour, in that moment, where he was clothed with your sins and clothed with my sins, the Scripture records how even the Father had to turn his face from the Son. Sins that the Son never committed, but that the Son embraced so that he would be dying in the place of the sinners so that the sinners could embrace what he did for them and be, give, be forgiven on the basis of, and then heaven opens for the forgiven sinner. And heaven absolutely, Easter Sunday proves it, reopened for the Son, Jesus, because the tombstone was rolled away not to let Jesus out necessarily, but for us to be able to look in, the old preachers say. And the fact that we can know that we're forgiven is based upon the fact that the tomb is empty. And it's empty because the father looked at his son and he accepted what the son had done. When Jesus would say on the cross, it is finished. It is, the debt is paid. There's nothing left to be paid. Nothing more Satan can require. The debt is fully paid. The Redeemer is slain. God himself became his own Redeemer. And on the basis of that, Satan is without a word. Satan was without accusation. We look in that empty tomb and our shout from the deep, deepest part, hallelujah, thank you, Lord. I'm forgiven, and I know I'm forgiven because Jesus has been raised from the dead. The rejection that we would have felt from the Father because of our sins that's removed through the death of the Son. The rejection that the Son felt from the Father is over. It's done. It's no longer there because the debt has been paid. I want you to find, turn over just a few more chapters in the book of Samuel. In 1 Samuel chapter 23. And verse 14, after the death of Goliath, 
And on the return to the city, David with Saul, Saul the king, David the young man, the young champion, and the celebrations break out. Saul has slain his thousands, David his ten thousands, and we, as we read last week, Saul began to look at David with suspicion from that day forward. He was afraid. Guilt was working within him because he, Saul knew he had failed the Lord who had set him in the place as king. And he knew that David was the one who would eventually take the throne. But he wanted to shut that down and stop that and keep that from happening because it would, it would mean his certain demise. And it wasn't that David had done anything wrong. It was that David had done everything right, in a sense. But he was rejected for who he was in the sight of the Lord. He was rejected for the purpose of God upon his life and in the life of the nation at that time. Scripture says in verse 14 of 1 Samuel 23, David stayed in the wilderness in the stronghold and remained in the hill country in the wilderness of Ziph, and Saul sought him every day. But God did not deliver him into his hand. We don't know how many years, not days, weeks, or months, but how many years it was between the time that Samuel anointed Saul or David to be king over Israel and the time that he actually was allowed to be, commissioned to be king at age 30 because Saul and Jonathan and other sons of Saul were killed on the mountains of Gilboa in a battle with the Philistines. We don't know how many years that happened. But it was day at night, daylight, all day, all night, week after week, month after month, even year after year, that David was feeling the brunt of that level of rejection. But I want to point out, if I could, a few things that rejection accomplishes in a believer's life. The effect of rejection. And it all ties in with breaking free of the lies of rejection. We mentioned this one last week. I'll just mention it briefly today. Rejection has a way of clarifying reality. Rejection has a way of clarifying reality. People can say they love you. They can attaboy you all day long. They can speak well of you for the longest period of time. And then something can happen. It may not even have been anything that you have done. It's just what you represent. Better yet, it's who you represent that can cause the whole picture to change. Rejection helps you understand who really cares about you and who really cares about themselves. 
Now, we're always, we're going, we're going to have levels of that in any kind of relationship. But when it gets to the point that you can't continue to be you unless you fundamentally, categorically morph into something else that you're not. And if you don't, and if you can't satisfy those demands, then rejection comes your way. It clarifies reality. Who really cares about me and who really doesn't care about me? As long as I'm useful, as long as I'm profitable for them, as long as I don't rock the boat, baby, then I'm fine. Though there's something inside me that's dying. I have a brother-in-law who some of you know. His name is Robert Graham, and he's been a friend for a lot of years and pastors a church out toward Castroville, the Redbird Community Church. He calls me Dave, Dave. He says, Dave, I have discovered the secret of a happy marriage. Now, he's, I don't get that, he's my brother-in-law. So whatever comes next is going to be dealing with my sister. Dave, I've learned the secret of a happy marriage. I said, well, Rob, would you please tell me, <laughs> let me in on this secret he said, well, here it is. Lower your expectations. <laughs> now, you think about that. Lower your expectations. And I know my sister, and I, I know that's probably a good idea. <laughs> she, is, she is a great, she is a firecracker, and he's a firecracker. I don't know how the two have stayed together all these 40 years that they've been married together. But the, the, the idea being you can't expect a person to have the, all the attributes of God. That they know everything. They understand everything. They'll always be there for you. They'll never disappoint you. Rejection has a way of helping us, whether we want it or not, whether we desire this characteristic or not, rejection has a way of just nudging us in the direction of lowering our expectation. From the standpoint that I cannot base my whole sense of self-worth on the basis of someone who has the ability to make my day or break my day on the basis of how they look in my direction. Am I in here by myself? There was a, there was a wonderful and power, maybe not at the time, it may not be immediate, but you look back on the situation, maybe six months, six years, or 20 years later, you look back on the situation and realize, wait a minute, they weren't really caring for me they wanted me in their lives because I helped them look better. I helped them do something. I helped them be something. But it wasn't anything about me, and I just didn't see it. I was, it was all about them. And it could be as a part of all of that that, 
that, that in the process of that, I had them set on some pedestal that, that, that really should have been the place that God alone would occupy. That, that, that it's the well done from Him that should matter the most to us. Not, not just whether or not a person, an individual, or a group has the all-encompassing power to make or break your day or your sense of well-being. We'll move on from that. Rejection clarifies reality. Rejection has the ability to equip with necessities. To equip. There are some things that rejection has the ability to take you into, to teach us, to, to bring us into a full understanding of that we would, might never have the opportunity to experience if we had never known that kind of rejection. Here, here's what I'm talking about. Find, find 1 Samuel 23. 1 Samuel 23. Now let me just read down through some of this part of the account. David has, has been fleeing for Saul for an extended period of time. He, he would sometimes be in the, in the land of Israel, in the land of Judah, and the, then he would at other times find himself a, a safer place even under the confines of the Philistines, the mortal enemies of the Israelites. 1 Samuel 23, verse 1. Then they told David, saying, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are plundering the threshing floor. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and deliver Keilah. But David's men said to him, Behold, we're afraid here in Judah. How much more if we go to Keilah against the ranks of the Philistines? Bad enough we got Saul on our case. Why do we want to go pick a fight with the Philistines? So David and his men went to, or excuse me, then David, verse 4, then David inquired of the Lord once more, and the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Keilah, and I will give the Philistines into your hand. So David and his men went to Keilah, fought with the Philistines, and he led away their livestock and struck them with a great slaughter. And David delivered the inhabitants of Keilah, city of Keilah. It came about when Abiathar, the son of Abimelech, fled to David at Keilah, that he came down with an ephod in his hand. And when it was told Saul that David had come to Keilah, Saul said, now get this, God has delivered him into my hand, for he shut himself in by entering a city with double gates and bars. I got him trapped. Thank you, Lord, for delivering the man that you have anointed to take my place, delivering him into my hand so I can kill him. That's, that's how distorted Saul's theology was at that point. Verse 8, so Saul summoned all the people for war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. Now David knew that Saul was plotting evil against him. So he said to Abiathar the priest, bring the ephod here. And David said, O Lord God of Israel, thy servant has heard for certain that Saul is seeking to come to Keilah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down just as thy servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell thy servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. Then David said, will the men of Keilah surrender me? 
and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will surrender you. Then David and his men, about 600, arose and departed from Keilah, and they went wherever they could. When it was told Saul that David had escaped from Keilah, he gave up the pursuit. Here's the point. Rejection has a way of equipping with necessities, and one of those absolute necessities is the ability to pour out your heart with specific, practical requests, asking for specific information, asking the Lord to help you with something that only He could help you with. Here's our problem as Christians. Many times we call it prayer when all we've done is think about a problem and then reference the Lord. We hadn't talked to him about any of it yet. Sometimes we get the thought, too, that the Lord's only interested in church kind of stuff, only interested in in. Christian kind of stuff. He is, he is, he is. But would you show me anywhere in this where this encounter that David is having with the Lord has anything to do with religious activity, has anything to do with formal prayers or feast days or or how to start accumulating material to build the temple? This is raw bone, bare knuckled survival. Lord, I've heard that Saul is coming after me. Is he coming? And once he gets here, will the people that I've helped to deliver give me up? And the Lord answered him specifically, gave him direction. My brother, my sister, Talk to the Lord. Talk to him specifically. Ask him specific questions. Wait for specific answers. You say, well, he's got too much stuff going on to be interested in what I'm going through right now. Well, he's God, and you ain't. He is God. He can be anywhere, everywhere at the same time. He can hear every word from every soul Anytime they offer it, and he'll say, come to me and ask me, and I will show you great and mighty things which you know not of. You will find me when you search for me with all your heart. Rejection has a way of cooking it down, pressing us into the place where we don't have anybody but him. And I don't need just a statue of a God. I don't need Jesus still in stained glass. I don't need him still on the cross. I need him alive. I need him triumphant. I need him present. I need him able. I need him willing. I need him ready. And how do I bring him in to the situations of my life? We do just what David did. Do I go down and attack the Philistines, deliver Keilah? The Lord says, Arise and go down to Keilah, and I'll give the Philistines into your hand. 
I'm not trying to split hairs here, but I am saying this. Some of the times when we say we prayed about something, we hadn't prayed about it a lick. Not a lick. There was no sense of the presence of the one we're supposed to be talking to. There's been no sense of articulating what it is, the various issues that we're concerned about or that we have need of that we've expressed to him. We've just said, well, here I am. I've got a broken heart. Here I am. I messed up. You know, God, I know you're there. Help me. Well, he's able to do it that way. But what if one of the reasons that he's allowed support to dry up, what if, what if one of the reasons that rejection has come your way is because the Lord is saying, as long as that other operation, that other system stayed in place, you wouldn't need me. I want to show you a further dimension to your life. And the further dimension to your life is when you are accessing my power, when you're operating according to my will, and when you understand that I care about every step that you take every day of your life, no matter where you are or how old you are, I care about you. The steps, let me try to rein this in. The steps, how's that? Of a good man, a good woman, are ordered by the Lord, established by the Lord. And he delights in their way. And when he falls, when she falls, stumbles, trips, gets, gets emotionally sidetracked, when he falls, he, she will not be cast headlong. Why? Because the Lord has taken hold of his hand. Folks, we can choose to live our lives in our days of rejection or just in our days of normal living. We can choose to live our lives amazingly alone and amazingly distant from the sense of the practical presence of the Lord. But Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. They got receivers. They got the ability to pick up the radio frequency. When I talk, they can get it. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me. How do you follow the Lord? One six-month period at a time? One month-long jump at a time? We follow him like David followed him. Do I go up to Keilah and rescue Keilah and run the risk of, Ed, of angering the Philistines? And he waits. And then he hears the Lord say, however the Lord would speak to David, however the Lord would speak to you. We don't know whether it's audible. We don't know whether it's impression. But David learned to hear the voice of God. He learned to wait for the directions of the Lord in the place of rejection. He was going to need that. If God was going to indeed take him in and establish him on the throne of David, and give rulership over an entire nation. And all that would be a part of what would be David's future. He needed to know that the Lord cares enough to hear what I'm saying. And it matters to him the mess that I'm in. Or the opportunity that's before me. The potential that's out there. It matters to the Lord. And I know it matters to the Lord. So I can... Take into his presence whatever's of a concern to me, and I know he will give me direction. 
where Paul would say, all rejected me. None stood with me on my first defense. I don't hold it against them. But then he goes on to say in 2 Timothy 4, but the Lord, <laughs> I'm sorry, I just can't help but holler that. But the Lord stood with me and delivered me out of the lion's mouth and he will yet deliver me into his holy heaven one day. The Lord stood with me. The Lord, if, if, if we let rejection turn into what we perceive to be the language of God. This is God saying, I have rejected you. And we can find ourselves in a very hopeless place. But when we realize so many characters in Scripture, so many instances in Scripture, there is the proof that when the circumstances of this world, when the opinions of people turn against the follower of Christ, they are not in any way mimicking or speaking the heart of God for that child. I need to leave David for a minute, and I need you to find your way over to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 41. Seems that again and again and again and again there is this issue of the powerful human emotion of being rejected, not being wanted, not being desired, that rises up to paralyze the people of God. And, and as the Lord realizes that, he knows it, he needs to speak into it. The scripture will say, he sent his word, and the word healed them. Listen to these words. Isaiah 41, verse 8. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendant of Abraham, my friend, you whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from the remotest parts and said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not rejected you. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous might hand. Behold, all those who are angered at you will be shamed and dishonored, will be, will be, will be shamed and dishonored. Those who contend with you will be as nothing and will perish. You will seek those who quarrel with you but will not find them. Those who war with you will be as nothing and non-existent. For I am the Lord your God who upholds your right hand, who says to you, do not fear, I will help you. Turn a page. Chapter 43, verse 1. But now thus says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, 
nor will the flame burn you, for I am the Lord. I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel and your Savior. If we have the idea that because I'm walking through a flood or I'm walking through a flame, that must mean that God has rejected me. Because if the forces of this world, the forces of family, the forces of business, the forces of culture array against me and I interpret them to have the voice, have the lips, have the mind of God, then I will wither in a way that there's no recovery if I'm assuming that God is speaking for them. But when I step back from what's coming at me, And I just say to the Lord, Lord, this is confusing to me. I want to repent if I've done something wrong but and show me and I want to make it right. But Lord, is this what you're saying about me? Are you saying I'm nothing? Are you saying I'm a total loser? Are you saying I'll never mount anything? Are you saying that it'll always be like this? Is that what you're saying? And then the Spirit of God works in your heart and takes you to a place like Isaiah 41 or Isaiah 43 and you read what the word of the Lord has said, not to perfect people, not to ones who've never messed up, but to real people who are facing the throes of rejection and you hear his heart spoken and proven to you that it's not over for you. The final word has not been spoken except that which is spoken in the heart of God about you. Isaiah 43, verse 18. Look at this. Do not call to mind the former things or ponder the things of the past. Behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? I will even make a roadway in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. The beasts of the field will glorify me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I have given waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people. The people whom I formed for myself will declare my praise. One more. Isaiah 54. Isaiah 54, verse 4. Fear not, for you will not be put to shame. At the moment, it looks like nothing but shame. At the moment, it looks like nothing but reversal. Fear not, for you will, that's future, you will not be put to shame. Neither feel humiliated, for you will not be disgraced. You will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. For your husband is your maker whose name is the Lord of hosts and your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. For the Lord has called you like a wife forsaken and grieved in spirit, even like a wife of one's youth when she is rejected, says your God. For a brief moment I forsook you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In an outburst of anger I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting loving kindness I will have compassion on you. Verse 10, for the mountains may be removed and the hills may shake, 
but my loving kindness will not be removed from you and my covenant of peace will not be shaken, says the Lord who has compassion on you. O afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted. Verse 14, in righteousness you will be established. You will be far from oppression for you will not fear and from terror for it will not come near you. If anyone fiercely assails you, it will not be from me. Whoever assails you will fall because of you. Behold, I myself have created the smith who blows the fire of coals and brings out a weapon for its work. Verse 17, and no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. It doesn't mean that the weapon won't be cocked, locked, and loaded. It doesn't mean that there won't be serious, intense made against you and your well-being and your circumstances. No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that accuses you in judgment, you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. Hallelujah and amen. I go back to the book of Psalms and let's pick our brother David up as we finish. Psalm 37, verse 35. Perhaps one of the last Psalms that David ever wrote. He records in Psalm 37 that he is an old man as he writes this. Looking back upon his life, looking back upon how God treated him. Did the promises happen? Were the, were the wicked devices and plots overturned? Was he vindicated? What, did, he, did he end up becoming the king and the promises fulfilled? Psalm 37, 35. The older David, looking back, I have seen a violent, wicked man spreading himself like a luxuriant tree in its native soil. And it wasn't like he was just a toadstool or a mushroom or a weed in the grass. I've seen a violent, wicked man spreading himself like a luxuriant tree. He was there, speaking of Saul, for a long time. Saul reigned over Israel 40 years. 40 years. I've seen a violent, wicked man spreading himself like a luxuriant tree in its native soil. Then he passed away. And lo, he was no more. I sought for him, but he could not be found. The source of his rejection, the imperial source of his rejection, I sought for him, but he could not be found. Mark the blameless man, and behold the upright. For the man of peace will have a posterity, but transgressors will be altogether destroyed. The posterity of the wicked will be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He 
is their strength in time of trouble. He is their strength in time of trouble. We don't know how strong he is until trouble seems to be far stronger than we are. That's why these seasons of rejection and difficulty and separation and hostility can work so greatly to our advantage because we know in those places, we come to understand in those places that he is my strength in time of trouble. For the Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. You know, when you're in the middle of a season of rejection, you may not have a real full daytimer as far as plans for your day or goals that you could set for the next six months. About all you have at some of those times and on some of those days can just be a determination. Lord, I'm going to trust you. I choose to trust you. I'm not sure about going this way or going that way. I'm not even sure how long this mess is going to last. But the witness of David and the witness of the prophets and the witness of the New Testament is that you lash your soul to the loyalty and the faithfulness of Almighty God, the lover of your soul, and he will bring you through into a further place, into a broader place, into a better place than whatever you left behind because of rejection. Their vindication is from me. The Lord knows your steps. The Lord knows your struggles. The Lord knows what's been said on the phone. He knows what's been written. He knows the things that have been perpetrated. And to all of that, he says, your vindication comes from me. You can work your way through Psalm 37. It's, a, it's just a loaded final statement of David looking back over his life. And he makes repeated reference to the, the successful plotting of the wicked against you. But he's, it's where we find the commit your ways to the Lord. Verse 5, trust also in him. And he'll do it. And he'll bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. No matter what people are saying, no matter what the circumstances may seem to indicate at the time, he'll bring forth your righteousness. He'll bring it forth. He, he, will, he will cause your judgment to be as the noonday. As clear as day, we say it. As obvious as a nose on your face what was right about you, what was wrong about you, but what was right, David speaks. I was falsely judged. I was accused of things that were not true. I couldn't defend myself, but I trusted in the Lord. I committed my way unto the Lord. And I'd be John Brown if the time didn't come when all of a sudden I looked up and he had handled it for me. He did it for me. Commit your way unto the Lord. Roll your way over unto the Lord. Trust also in him. Now, this specific 
context specific. It's rejection. The context is rejection from what he had experienced from Saul. And yet how the Lord had other plans than Saul had for him. God has other plans than what your nemesis has planned for you. He just says, rest in the Lord, verse 7, wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes, talking to himself, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evildoing, for evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. Yet a little while, and the wicked man shall be no more, and you shall look carefully for his place, and he'll not be there. But the humble will inherit the land and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. I've got to show you just one more short section out of Psalm 34. And this one, this particular psalm was written during the season of David's rejection where he had to... He had to hide himself in amongst the enemies of the Lord's people. And they caught on to who he was, and so he had to fake madness before the king Abimelech in order to not be put to death by an arch enemy of the Jewish people. They realized that this is the one, was David is the one who had great victories against our people attributed to him. So he feigned madness is what it's called. He, he, he let... He let saliva run down on his beard and he was stumbling around and, and then old Abimelech started hollering at his staff saying, don't I have enough crazy people around me? You know, get rid of this guy. And so they, they let him go. But it's interesting that David says, this is where we get these words. It's in the context of David's fleeing from Saul and now being rejected by another king. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord, and the humble shall hear it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt it. Where are you, David? Well, I tell you, I'm just running from king number two. I'm just having to flee from my life from king number two, but I'm going to tell you Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant in their voice. Faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him. Let me ask you something. Are you a poor man? Are you a poor woman that had never cried out to the Lord? Or have we just... Cried out to other Christian friends. Just complained to ourselves. David said, this poor man cried out to the Lord. Specific cries. And the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Where are you tasting of the Lord, David? Well, I'm running from king number two. I hadn't, got a, I hadn't got a pot to call my own. I don't have a roof over my head. I don't have a street address. I don't have any social security. I don't have any medical insurance. I don't even, I'm not even sure my family will still own me, but I'm going to tell you, I've tasted and I've seen that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him.
Oh, fear the Lord, you as saints. For to those who fear him, there is no lack. Verse 17, the righteous cry and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. And then this line, we finish with this. These next couple of verses. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. The Lord saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Verse 22, the Lord redeems the soul of his servants and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. You may be living in the thick of rejection right now. And emotionally, it's hard to deal with anything other than just the pain of what you're feeling right now. But by the grace of God, these days will pass. By the grace of God, your vision will clear. Your heart will lift. By the grace of God in time, you will realize that whoever that was or whoever they were who rejected you are not God. They are not the final voice for you. Because you have chosen and received Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you're a child of the King. You're a child of the King. He has chosen and adopted you. And he knows the plans that he has for you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. Now that, that probably means in a number of cases that the geography may change, like with Daniel and his three friends, like with David and his crew. The geography changed. The circumstances shifted. But it wasn't less that God had in mind. It was more that God had in mind. It wasn't worse that God had in mind. It was better that God had in mind. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Lord, I ask you, please, as only you can do it, to take your word and just spread it across the wounded places in our hearts where we may not even feel emotional, the ability to embrace a promise or to even be encouraged by the statements of your word regarding your heart. Lord, would you just please mercy us in that place and in that time and would you just press your word to our hearts, to our minds, to our souls. And Lord, if all we can do and it's mustering up everything within us to even say it. Lord, we want it to be true. Lord, we trust you. We lean on you. We're counting on you, Lord. We're depending on you. Thank you by faith that rejection means freedom. That rejection often means safety and deliverance. That rejection is never something that you allow that is wasted upon your children. We choose to trust that in the place 
of rejection. You are showing us things of great necessity, of great importance. You're drawing us into dialogue with you, into fresh communication with you, specific communication with you and you with us. Lord, I just ask you to pour out your spirit, your healing balm upon your people. Just give the ability to renounce the lies of Satan and to rejoice in the truth and the promises of the reality of your word. And Lord, will you do it all by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.